0: All right, our kids can go for kids' world. That's exciting. All right, fun, guys. All right, we are, we are diverging from the book of Acts for uh, maybe until January, probably until January. And... Uh, Coming into a five week series today on the Holy Spirit. And if you're here with us uh, previously, I told you we might do this and that we, we stole this outline from one of our classes at Jason are in. Uh, and we've modified it a little bit already. Although all five weeks in, in our instructor's uh, outline, He he didn't have a whole album, he just had his five bullet points, and we just kind of took it and expanded it from there. It all started with the letter C, which is very Baptist. uh, You know, have however many points you're going to have. I mean, the Holy Grail is three points in a poem. Uh, I won't be able to do that for you this morning because I don't have a poem to share with you. And I don't know exactly how many points I have to share with you. I'm just going to work through this passage of Scripture and hopefully find some ways for it to be relevant to our circumstances today. So uh, we were discussing, Jason and I were discussing that in that five-bullet-point outline that he had, there was one component of the work of the Holy Spirit that to us was missing. So we took two of his that were very similar and put them together, which left a hole, and Jason had to come up with another word that starts with the letter C so that we didn't mess up the five-week letter C. And he did. I'm very proud of him. He's He's brain, he's got a great mind, and he did, and he will uh, Oh, Speaking with us in a couple weeks, I'm not used to wearing one of these, so don't do that. I'm have the headset, but I'm, I'm making some changes. changes do it right All right, so the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, uh, we grew up Baptist, least uh, I did. Jason uh, was with us at, at Faith Baptist Church. 30 plus years ago, and over the course of our time in ministry together we've kind of come to, to realize that particularly in our very conservative Baptist upbringing the Holy Spirit was like the third wheel on the, the date of the Trinity going out together. Uh, we, we talked a lot about God the Father we really love Jesus a lot about Jesus, and then and I think that that was pounced a lot of times in kind of a fear of what is the work of the Holy Spirit because we had alongside us our very wonderful brothers and sisters, particularly in the Charismatic and Pentecostal movement, who had an expression, and, and I would say perhaps, hate to offend you if you're offended, but here we go, um, perhaps too much of an emphasis on the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Where it was a sort of a demand for there to be miraculous things happening and speaking in tongues and worship and these things, which is, is not at all what's described in Scripture. And so there was this tension where, and maybe you experienced this in your life, where sometimes we go from one extreme to the other, right? So if we don't want to be lined up with this view over here, we find ourselves walking as far this direction as we possibly can, just to make sure that everyone understands there's a clear line of separation. The unfortunate part of that is that to me, I think, in a lot of my life as a Christian growing up until, uh, I don't know, probably the last 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years, uh, really a lot revolving around the foundation of Christ's community church and conversations that that we had in the early days of of what this was going to be like, I just came to realize that I didn't really understand and invest in who... Holy Spirit is, and what his work is meant to be to us in the church today. And so, we thought this would be a great uh, series to bring about, and talk about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, and who he is, what he does, and how that can impact our lives kind of on a daily basis. And so, right at the top level, we say... But like from the Nicene Creed, which is recited in a lot of churches right now, being recited in churches around this city, around the state, has been around the world. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit, our God, three in one. This concept of, of the trinity of God, his triune nature, three distinct persons who are yet one, and we're going to look at this language from the 14th chapter of John today, which is Jim's favorite chapter, by the way. I'm not touching on your favorite verse this morning. Maybe I'll come back to it at the end, but it's not in the text that we're using this morning. But it's a great passage, um, which honestly, like John 12, 13, 14, 15, that whole section right there is so rich with teachings from Jesus Christ. It's if you have a red-letter Bible, it's, there's a lot of red in this section. And and there's so much insight and understanding of who Christ is and and what he teaches us about how God will interact with those who are his followers once he's gone. In fact, in today's text, he's going to talk about the fact that he's going away, but the disciples still don't understand exactly what that means. So he's... He's speaking to them in a way, and you've had this experience too, probably, where they're going to come back later and remember this conversation, but in the moment, a lot of it didn't make sense because they couldn't understand everything about what he was telling them. But he knew what was to come, and so uh, he he speaks these things, and we're going to we're going to swirl around a couple of of phrases and things that he says that sort of. They're like, um, it's one of the reasons we have our our church logo is the, the, the pretzel thing we call it. It's a Celtic, the Celtic knot, it's a Celtic cross, <laughs> we call it the pretzel. Um, because it's interwoven, distinct, but somehow they always come around and meet each other. And there's some language in here today that does that, that gives us a peek into why we believe in the triune nature of God. Hard for us to contain it our brains, but it's in here. Uh, in the past several weeks, as we've talked through Acts and some other passages, I've tried to highlight those places where the language tells us about this nature and why that's important. So let's jump in. Uh, first of all, uh, John chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. Jesus says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Now, let's stop right there. (laughs) This is not, this is not some sort of exchange relationship that's being described here. This is not, um, when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he's not saying that in an accusatory way. He's just stating a fact. If you love me, you're the person who keep my commandments. It's not judgment or lack of judgment. It's just a statement of fact. And we can see this in our daily relationships. We can even remove the aspect of love from it and say, you know, if you're committed to your work, then you will do the things that your work requires of you to do in order to do a good job. It's, it's just naturally what will happen. And this is, again, something that, that's kind of absent from my understanding growing up, that I had this idea that being a Christian was about checking the boxes and making sure I had everything right, when in reality, God's work comes completely, totally from the inside out to begin. He does a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves when he saves us, when he rescues us. In fact, uh, if you will... Scripture says that before we encounter Christ, we're actually spiritually dead. Which means, this is why if if we're outside of Christ, if, if we're not a follower of Christ, which means a believer in Christ, who he is, what he has done, and what he promises to us, then our good works are good things, but they don't gain us anything because they're the works of a dead person. The first miracle that God performs for every single one who comes to him and says, I want to believe, I want to follow, is it says that he brings them from death into life. And that is the work of God from the inside out. And then somehow religion takes it and says, okay, now that you're in that place that you want to follow, now here's all these things you have to do in order to stay in favor with God. And that's really not the message of the gospel. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ is that he begins this good work in us, and then as we draw close to him, learn about him, read about him, pray, seek God, he continues that work from the inside out so that we naturally become people who, if we love God, we keep his commandments. Now, the second thing I want to get to is, what are his commandments? And Jesus gets very narrow about this in the New Testament. In fact, he really brings it full circle, because we go back all the way to Exodus, uh, even before, when God communicates his greatest commandments to humanity of all time. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus comes back around to this in his time when someone asks him, what is the greatest commandment? He says, go back to the beginning. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he is literally saying, if you love me, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. That is keeping the commandment of Jesus. Now, underneath of that, we can begin to reason out and and discover all sorts of fine details to that, right? But I caution you don't add a bunch of layers of detail to those two commands because you'll find yourself in the weeds of religion. You will find yourself in the weeds of legalism. And you will find yourself associated with groups, who are affiliated with thought, who takes the things of man and religion and places them on top of the commands of Christ and begin to make judgments about whether people are in or out, that you have no business judging. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, that word helper, uh, some of the older translations say, a comforter. I will give you a comforter. Uh, I will give you an advocate. Uh, I will give you, there's another word that I ran across this week. I can't remember now. I
1: can put it down in my notes.
0: But they're all kind of in that same. A direct English word that means exactly what the concept of the Greek word means. So we, we try to get as close as we can. It says that he will ask the Father that he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So right here we have all three members of, of the Godhead in this one statement. I will ask the Father and he will send a helper. That's great. The school doesn't really tell us that they're the same their presence in there. He's kind of setting the table. He will send a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. All right, The spirit of truth in right. the context here is the one who communicates the truth of God. And this is something that was, I think I mentioned this last week goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It's not news. It's not new. A new way for God to to communicate to people. The Spirit of God has always been present. The Holy Spirit has always been as part of the Godhead and with God. And His role has always been to be a helper, to be an advocate, to be a communicator, to teach us truth. Uh, That's one of the other weeks that how he confirms things. And that's the C word, by the way, because the Holy Spirit confirms things. The Holy Spirit comforts. And he says, the world, which means anyone who has not come to the understanding of who Jesus is, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. But here is the difference that happens in the New Testament with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has always been present. Holy Spirit has always been at work because He's part of the nature and the purpose and the character of the Triune God. But just as God was present with Adam and Eve in the Garden from the Genesis story, or if you want to take it further into, into biblical history with speaking with Noah, appearing to Moses, uh, wrestling with Jacob, uh, all of these, these areas. We see God the Father manifesting himself in different ways to people in the Old Testament. And then he reveals himself again in a new way in the person of Jesus Christ. But they have both always existed. And then we have Holy Spirit, who he's speaking of now, that we saw at the beginning of the book of Acts come to humanity in a, in a way that is new. He's been present as part of the triune nature of God, but he is now going to have a mission specific to humanity that he has not performed until this time. And that is not just to be with you, because he says, he's been with you. He's been with you all the way from the beginning. In fact, if we can jump over to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it's right at the beginning of this narrative. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So he's there in the beginning. And this is exactly what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, uh, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's when he starts to connect the dots here. He's, he's starting to, tell, he's, he's trying to communicate to them that, that he's going to go away. Something's about to happen that they're not ready for and will shape their entire worldview, but he's not going to abandon. So he says, I won't leave you as orphans. Which means I am going to leave you, but I am going to orphan you. And I will be back. Verse 19. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. You also will live. It's, it's in this section Isn't talking about you will also see me when I return? Is it saying, you will also see me because you will see me in the presence of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. can't really answer that question. He could mean both. Uh, He's trying to communicate a truth about himself that is larger than human understanding can grasp. And he's putting them into words. So yet a little while, and the world, remember those who don't understand him, have not come to an understanding of Jesus Christ, will see me no more. They'll just say, oh, he's gone. But you will see. Me. Because I live, you will live. Verse 20, in that day, the day that they don't see him with their eyes anymore, but they still see him somehow, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I, where? In you. In, you. in you. Now, just a minute earlier, he had said that there was going to be someone who would be in us. Who was that? Spirit. Right? It's spirit. I'm going to give to you the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it will receive him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he says, and I will be in the Father, and you will be in me, and I will be in you. It's that thing, right there. Going around and around and around. And he there, but he is always there, he is always present. He is one, yet he is three. He is Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and yet he is God. Jesus does this And we could take it as one way when we think about how do we, how does this impact me now? What does this mean to me in, in this moment in my life? You know, whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm struggling with work, I'm struggling with relationship, I'm struggling with marriage, I'm struggling with health, whatever. How does this help me? The way that I think this helps me is, is at least two ways. One, it reminds me as I read this, and even, I look, I've looked at this all week, Yet in a little while, the world will see you no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you, and my head hurts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For, oh, yeah, just, you know, it's like that, I'm having this experience more often now, when, when you're trying to find that word. Just, and I'll say, oh, yeah, it's right, it's right out here. But if I try to look at it, it's gone, Right? So close, you can almost touch it. And then later you have this moment, this flash where it <laughs> right through your head. What was that happened to us earlier this week? I don't remember. It was, it was something from like last Sunday, wasn't it? He said something last Sunday, I was like, I can't remember what that is. And then Jason and i here sitting next to each other at the conference and we were at in Juno, and it just he just blurts out to me, saying he just blurts out to me, bleh! And I went, like, Oh, that was it. And it's like 48 hours later. Right, and sometimes this feels like that. Like I read these, and I read other passages, and I am like, oh, I don't know. It, it it makes me feel a little, a little heady and a little spacey, like trying to just get my neurons and synapses to, to to kind of coordinate around this. And then other times, when I sort of let it go, it feels like somewhere deep down it just snaps into place. And the thing that snaps into place for me. I can have such great confidence in who God is and and what He can do for me and through me and with me because He is so much greater than I can. either Gregory of Nazianzus or Christostom, early church fathers, i talking like 300 A.D., 400 A.D., um, was famous for writing this, this paper, this book, On the Trinity, where he took on the, the, the thought of another very popular theologian, his name is Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N, who taught that God was limited that there were limits to what God could do and that there were limits to how God would work. And uh, these other thinkers, especially those who came through the the Nicene Creed that I mentioned earlier, working that out, they landed on this idea from Scripture that I think is true that God is not finite; He's infinite. And the, the primary foundation for that was, and I've said this numerous times, didn't even know I was being a great theologian with the early church fathers. If I can if I can quantify God, if I can find all of his edges, if I can understand everything about him, he's not much of a God. He's, he's, if I can understand him, he's me. And listen, friends, we don't need me as God. <laughs> so how does it help me that God is this person, this Father, Son, Holy Ghost, this it's it's hard for me to grasp and yet who somehow in my inner being because he's in these snaps into place, is that no matter what I'm facing, no matter my trial, no matter my struggle, no matter my exhaustion, I can come to him and rest in him and trust him that he is good and bigger than whatever is sitting in front of me. So that's one way. says here, that so he's sending this helper, this one who's going to come alongside us and advocate for us before God, He's going to comfort us in times of struggle, he's going to help us in times of need, and, and I don't know if that necessarily means, you know, my bank accounts, low. Well, the Holy Spirit give me a hand. And we're famous here for saying God is not a cosmic uh, slot machine. But God does that kind of thing sometimes. He's done it in my life. Is it something I expect from him all the time? It's not. Am I like blessed by what he does? Of course. But have we prayed on behalf of other people that God would move in kind of definable, tangible, physical ways? Sure. And has God done that? Really? Yeah. Pretty cool. Primarily, though, his work is a spiritual work. His, his work is something that's internal to us, and so the other way that he helps me is when I read the Word, he helps to illuminate that for me. When I have conversation with other believers and we're talking about spiritual things, he helps to illuminate and and bring assistance into those conversations. When there's conflict, um, he helps to uh, soothe those. And sometimes, you know, they're not soothed right at the beginning. They're all of these different areas of my kind of internal life. So I can trust him for the externals of my life because he's bigger than I am, and I can trust him for the internals of my life because he's small enough to be in me. There's a great song by Nicole Nordman called uh, Be Small Enough. Oh, great God. It's, it's not a stretch for him, it's what he intends. Jesus told us this is exactly what he intends to do. So, verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And there it is again, the three persons of the Trinity in one phrase. Do you see what he says there? So he comes back there, he who has my commandments, that's an interesting phrase. Let's say who does my commandments, who obeys my commandments, but he who possesses them. So again, that's an internal thing. That's an internal work of God. He has done this work within us to where we naturally become people who follow the way of Christ. That's why in the early days they called about, it wasn't about checking like those boxes. It was about walking in the direction that Jesus was walking. Knowing that all along the way we're going to stumble, we're going to trip, we're going to get perfect, which is why then we help one another, and that's an outpouring, that's an extension of the Holy Spirit within us. He is our helper. The Bible calls us to help one another. But it's being in the way of Jesus. and so that's what says, whoever has my commandments and it is who loves me. Just go hand in hand. And he who loves me, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's no distinction, really, in the language there. he's trying to communicate that big crazy truth of the triune nature of God. So, I can trust him for the external things in my life. I can trust him in regard to the internal things in my life. And then finally, how do I how do I activate that? How do I get that to be something that's present in my life and not just something I'm thinking about? We see in Psalm chapter 51 the way that David did this. And again, remember Holy Spirit isn't new in the New Testament. His dwelling within us is new. But his work has always been there. And this is David part of his plea after he has done this terrible thing to Bathsheba. Verse 10 Creating me Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now David is crying out in the aftermath of a great family. And throwing himself before God. But the principles here apply everywhere in our lives. The psalmist also says, a broken spirit, God will not despise. And a broken spirit doesn't necessarily mean that you're down on yourself. Oh, I'm, I mean, we, we have this in some of our texts. I think Paul says this, something like, I'm such a worm. Uh, and, and there are a lot of, like, I say new theologians, but they're, they're sort of channeling old theologians, but they see, really, they're feeling really cool about it because they have beards and flagships and cigars and they are burned and all that kind of stuff so they're like, you yeah, know, so cool. Um, and they're really into this idea oh, you're such a worm, you're garbage, you're nothing, blah. Okay. Uh, there's an esoteric point that I get. But there's also so many times when scriptures talk about a broken spirit, it doesn't mean that you're down on yourself. It means that you just realize you're broken. Like you're not perfect. Like you don't get it right all the time. Sometimes you mess it up. And in any of those circumstances, what God promises is that that brokenness, He doesn't despise that. He loves you. His his greatest pleasure is to restore you to glory. And He has to do that a thousand times a day. It still takes pleasure in that. Because that's his, that's his purpose in you. It's to restore you to glory. His forgiveness poured out to you, his blessing poured out to you, his attention poured out to you. Restore to me, in those times when it comes to my thinking, either because I really messed up or I'm just not firing at all cylinders more than I should be from the things I know are important, whatever it is, when that remembrance comes to my mind, create me a clean heart, of God. Renew a right spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And he is faithful. So, he helps me in my external. This sort of comes full circle. This is how we know the conversation is over, over when we're having uh, coffee together, and It's when we talk about something at the beginning and it somehow organically comes up later. We're like, oh, the conversation's finished. We, we've kind of, eaten all of it all. And that's just happened right here because I have this quote from C.S. Lewis that I want to share this morning, and I didn't realize exactly how to it connected, but here it is: The caution with our approach to Holy Spirit is if we are lured into putting Holy Spirit into some sort of performative box, which means we know Holy Spirit is with us because I'm getting chicken skin in worship, or man, the music was really awesome, or I felt like God really spoke to me today, or I spoke in tongues, or there were signs and wonders, people got healed. We have made a mistake. Because that is not everyday life. It wasn't for the disciples. It wasn't for the apostles. It wasn't for the early church, and it is not for us today. It's chasing experience that, frankly, is really susceptible to being infiltrated by false spirits who want to who want to soothe you and excite you with experiences that really don't have anything to do with growing you and maturing you as a disciple. Christ. Because, let's face it, friends, where you become a disciple of Christ is in the the hard trenches of life. See, faith is never tested. It's faith that's weak. Faith that's never tempted is faith that's weak. It only knows its strength, and it only reveals its weaknesses when things are difficult, or even sometimes when things are just boring. So, you have to be cautious of seeking mountaintop experiences because every time you reach one peak, the next time you've got to go another peak. you got to go another... It becomes a self-fulfilling crack at some point. It's, it's very akin to um, addictions and other obsessions and things like that. we you just got to keep piling on to get the same experience. And uh, early days of ministry, this is something I mean, we wrestle with here as a church. Large event type things. are fun. They're great. Big bedding. Man, that was exciting. And then Monday happens and I'm like, whoa. That was so great yesterday. How do we make that happen again? And that's the question. Because the Holy Spirit is either present in every moment and good And the mountains, Or well, he's not really helping you, and it might be that you're not letting him help you because you only expect him to respond to the pull of the slot machine arm and give you a prize, but he's just saying, just go for a walk, get out of the, get out of the party room and just go eat you. C.S. Lewis says it this way. It is quite right that you should feel that something terrific has happened to you. It has. And you might be all glowing with the Holy Spirit. Accept these sensations of thankfulness like birthday cards from God. But remember that they are only greetings and not the real gift. I mean, it is not the sensations that are the real thing. The real thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit which can't usually be, perhaps not ever, experienced as a sensation or emotion. I want you to try to let that sink in. The Holy Spirit himself is not experienced as a sensation or an emotion. Think about it in terms of a you know, when you when you first fall in love, you're know, all twitter, right? <laughs> you know, you get flushed in the face, and can't wait to see that person. As love matures, you love them more deeply, but that kind of emotional thing is on a different, different vein. And listen, here's where a lot of relationships get in trouble. If you want that mm-hmm, for 50 years, you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I love you. I
1: love you more than I've ever loved
0: you. Okay, <laughs> <Feeling it. laughs> <laughs> you know, when we both stumbled around the house this morning with not enough sleep didn't wait for the for, for church this morning, you know, it wasn't terribly
1: romantic.
0: <laughs> but so the love. Because those emotions Wonderful. Their messages, they're these greeting cards from God, but they're not the Holy Spirit. He's a gift. The sensations are merely the response of your nervous system. Don't depend on them. Otherwise, when they go, and you are once more emotionally flat, as you will be quite soon. You might think that the real thing May even be the most operative when you can feel it the least. I can trust him for my external life, trust him for my internal being. I can come to him anytime, all the time. What can you do with this? I can only give you this encouragement. Take those principles that we've talked about this morning, try to capture them into your mind and think on them, and then, and then take them and sort of overlay them on your life and say, am I practicing this way? Am I living this way? Do I live as if I can trust God for the externals? Am I living as if He is at work in my internal life and in my internal being? Oh, I Am I willing to go to him when things are the greatest and I need him to be that helper? Or am I trying to smug it out on my own? You're the only one who can do that work of taking taking the principles, the truths of the the word, and and overlaying them onto your life and saying, how is this applying to me?" So that's your work to do, not mine. And my work. this morning I hope that you are for the word of God I'm looking forward to these next four weeks as we continue to talk about Holy Spirit and his work in our lives our beings and our world and I hope that you'll join us for it uh, we're going to sing one last song together before we go this morning and uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks Miss um, uh, Anne's family brought a bunch of uh, precious moments figurines from her house and they have asked folks to look through them and take some home that might have meaningful to them. There are some still on the tent Center back here, so before you leave today, if you haven't had a chance to do that and you want to look through them again, take a look, and uh, we'll continue to share those until they find homes, and that's really been a fun thing to do. We I have um, everybody that uh, expressed yes. their,
2: uh, their, their love and their condolences the last uh, two or three weeks. I, I really appreciate uh, all of those words. Those little figurines uh, in themselves mean nothing, but they are mementos of Jan and something that she loves. So I, I would love to have you take one so that you can remember her, too. Now, I had one,
1: yeah. You know, it better still be there. And, and I found one because it's a, it's a, it's a, a girl. It's a woman, it's a brother. And it reminded me of Jan sitting here when her Sunday a track, so.
2: yeah. <laughs> there's a slight delay in our music here.
1: <laughs>
2: and, and was that word uh, uh, about the Holy Spirit that you were looking for? A paraclete? That, that's one that doesn't get yeah, used yeah, much.
1: Paraclete is the Greek. Uh, there was another word that was a uh, one to one translations of the Greek that I can't
2: um, I remember. I remember. Well, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of interesting that there's so many different words that are used to describe the Holy Spirit because it's really so hard to describe it. And uh, even Jesus, when he was using his words trying to describe what was coming to his uh, disciples, uh, they failed to grasp it entirely. Trying to describe this spiritual realm to people that are living in the material world is often hard.